reading this morning is Luke verses 1 to 4. Um, while you're turning to the passage, let me just say that at Village, the Bible is central to everything we do. It's God's primary way of speaking to his people, and it shapes everything we believe and do. Um, the Bible is God's gift um, to the church, his word. Um, because of this, after I finish reading, I'll say this is the word of the Lord, and we'll all respond, thanks be to God. Um, I think we have some at the back, if you don't um, have one with you, and if you don't have one at all, please feel free to take that with you. Um, so let's hear from Luke chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. Inasmuch as many have other undertaken to compile the narrative of things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, um, that you may have certainty concerning the things that have been taught. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Caitlin. That was a tough one this morning to read. Uh, here, good to see you all. It's nice to have a full room again. Um, let's do our best to keep everyone safe and be mindful of other people's uh, concerns and feelings in this crazy COVID situation. Um, if you don't know who I am, if you've never been here before, my name is Andrew. I'm the pastor here in Village South, um, and it's really good to see you. Um, before I begin our sermon this morning, I just want to give you an update on Travis. It was really good that Travis was leading into things this morning. Um, for the past, how long, Travis? Uh, about a year and a half, really. Travis has been in a, a, in, in a time of training and uh, candidacy to become an elder in our church. Uh, and this is significant because it's significant, but it's also significant because um, the, the Bible really shows us that churches are led by a uh, plurality of leaders, not just by one person. The church is led by Jesus. He is our pastor. He is our shepherd. And, and, uh, but then under, that we, under him, we have uh, a plurality of elders who lead uh, the church. And Travis has been in this period undergoing uh, training and experience and all that kind of stuff. And some of you over the past while have been uh, given some feedback and thoughts on that, which is great. Um, we're really entered into the final period of that now, um, and we need to hear from you. If this is your church home, especially if you're a, a covenant member of this church, then uh, let us know. Let us know um, what you as our church think of Travis becoming an elder. We want to hear your encouragements. We want to hear um, why you think he's suited to this role. But we also want to hear any concerns that you might have. Um, can you submit to Travis as an elder in, in our church? Um, you can do that by emailing elders at villagebelfast.com. If you have any concerns about um, that there may be some kind of favoritism or something, I don't even get those emails, okay? So I just want to put your minds at ease. That goes to, that goes to, to John over in Village East, who's, uh, and, and so it's, what I'm saying is if you feel like you can't say something to me, you don't need to worry about that. You can, you can um, email elders at Village Belfast, but I'd also love to hear from you directly as well if you want to encourage me and encourage us in that process. Uh, let's, let's hear about that. We're really in the final few weeks of that, and we want to, we feel that the Lord is, um, we feel that the Lord is leading us down this path, um, and it's a really exciting thing. It's a really good thing. Um, so yes, do give us your feedback. Um, let me pray for us. Let's pray together um, before we dive into this passage this morning. Uh, Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for, uh, firstly, for, for Travis and for Lauren and their boys 
Um, thank you for um, their obedience to serve you and to worship you with their lives. Um, Lord, I pray that you would just continue to honor them and bless them. Um, Lord, we need your wisdom as a church uh, in this process. Um, none of us are very wise. Only you are all wise, Lord. And so we need your wisdom in this. We need your guidance. We need your help. Um, Father, I pray that you would continue to help us to, to, to discern what your will is for us. Um, be with us now, Lord, as, as we uh, open your word, as we hear from you. We believe that you are speaking to us this morning. I pray, Lord, that uh, we would hear um, my voice, but would listen to your words this morning. We want to be good children, uh, listen to the voice of our Father. And we pray these things. Come, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, this morning, we're starting a new series, New Year, new series in the, the Gospel of Luke. Um, that's kind of what we do in Village. We, we take books of the Bible and we work our way through. So we're going to be in, in Luke for a, for a while. Then we're going to take a break and do some other stuff. And then we're going to come back to it. Um, we're going to be in Luke for a while. Um, so I would encourage you from week to week, be reading Luke. Be in this. Uh, it's actually, it's quite a long book, but it, it takes about half an hour to read it through. Um, it's not a, a huge um, endeavor. Be reading that. This book of Luke is, is, is really Luke's account of the life and times of Jesus, the life and death of Jesus. And as we, uh, as we go through the next few months, we're going to be working our way uh, pretty much chapter by chapter, um, except we're not going to recover the parts we covered in Advent. We're not going to cover again the, um, the, the birth of Jesus. We're going to skip over that because we just did it last month. Um, and this morning in our sermon, we're going to have a wee bit more information and background than we would normally have. Um, and I'm doing that on purpose because I want us to get a really good grasp of, of who this guy is and what this book is about as we start in this journey together. But before we get into that, I want to start by asking us a question, um, a question that is pretty pertinent, I think, in the times that we're living in. And the question is this, what can you or what are you absolutely certain of in life? What can you have absolute certainty in? It's probably fair to say that we live in uncertain times. <laughs> I think that we've uh, experienced that. We've had to come to terms with the most basic of uncertainties over the past couple of years, like, am I allowed to see my family over Christmas? Um, will my kids be allowed to go to school? Uh, will this be the week that I finally have to self-isolate? These are definitely, I think, the, the most uncertain times in living memory. But even beyond COVID, uh, there, there, are, there, there is in our culture a, a, an undercurrent of uncertainty, isn't there? An undercurrent of distrust, of, of unbelief. Um, it's pretty clear that we now live in a time when, when truth is subjective. Fact is up for debate. I'm sure you're familiar with the phrase, your truth. This is something I uh, like to joke about with Haley all the time. I always talk about your truth. I think it's a funny phrase, but the idea is that uh, the idea is that your truth really means that what is true for you isn't necessarily true for me, and maybe isn't actually true at all. What I think and I believe is true, and really that's all that matters. Uh, you might remember one of the most famous examples of your truth uh, from last year in March when Oprah did the, the famous interview with, um, or infamous, depending on your opinion, uh, interview with, with um, Harry and Meghan. And th it, this interview did divide opinion because it wasn't really about establishing undeniable fact. It was about Oprah giving these two, let's face it, young people uh, an opportunity to tell their truth. 
Now, I'm not here to give my opinion on the royal family or Harry and Meghan or any of that. I don't really have an opinion, to be honest. But this example highlights how the concept of truth has really shifted recently to the point that truth is now more or less completely subjective. And in some ways, people being able to to voice their experiences, especially if they've been bullied or abused, is a really good thing. But the downside of, of this kind of movement is that we live in a time when nothing really is certain anymore. In the modern, if, if the modern age was characterized by a dependence on scientific fact and irrefutable evidence, then in our post or, or post-postmodern age then uh, is defied by your truth, your experience. And we see this so much around the, the COVID conversation, don't we? Don't go into that. Well, I'm going to. Um, not really. It's not enough that scientists say that they have proved vaccines are effective. How do we know this is true? Or, or it, it's, it's just as easy to find a hundred other scientists that say that vaccines aren't effective. Again, I'm not here to give my opinion on that. I'm just trying to point out that our culture, in our culture, nothing really is certain anymore. It may be that uncertainty is the only certain thing. And as with all movements throughout history, the church is not immune. Far from it. We're, we're all affected by the environment that, in which we exist. And even though we hold to the truth of the Bible, we still take on certain characteristics of the world around us, right? So just like our skin is waterproof, if you sit in the bath too long, you're going to get wrinkly fingers and toes. Our skin is, is waterproof, but we're still changed by the water. And in this age of uncertainty, um, the uncertainty has manifested itself in the church in, in various ways. But one of the most notable ways is, is, is what's known as deconstruction. You may have heard of this. It's happened in all areas of life, but, but uh, particularly prominent in the church. This is when uh, the uncertainty of the world we live in is used to question what the Bible teaches, when people begin to take apart their faith. Because after all, if nothing is certain, then if, you, if your truth is, is not my truth or even the truth, then why do we have to believe what the church or even the Bible or even God himself teaches? How do we know really the truth about who God is? And it's easy to question and doubt and and deconstruct and even reject certainty because this is what we're surrounded by day in, day out. Uncertainty is what we're subconsciously trained in. So what can we be certain about? Can, can we actually be certain about anything? Well, according to Luke, we can. According to Luke, we can have certainty. We can have certainty about Jesus. I want to listen, I want to read again these short verses, not to take away from Caitlin, but just so it's fresh in our minds again, if it's, on, it's going to be on the screen. He, this is how he introduces this uh, gospel. He says, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative... Doesn't that sound like our culture? (laughs) Many have undertaken to compile a narrative. Everyone has their own narrative right now. Compile a narrative of things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account to you, for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Now, 
A little bit of background. It was pretty common in the ancient world uh, for historians to introduce their work with a short paragraph like this. It's a short introduction of of what the piece of work is uh, and who is behind it. And these four verses are doing just that. But who is this guy? Who is Luke? And why should we trust him? Why should we listen to him? Well, it's widely held by historians and scholars, both Christian and secular, that, that Luke's gospel is one of the finest historical works of antiquity. And not only that, Luke is regarded as one of the best historians of this time. The book, the book that this, this gospel of Luke, is the first of a two-volume work. The second part is the book of Acts. And through historical research and archaeology, we know that Luke is a, is a top, top historian. There's a trustworthiness to what he says. He establishes fact. And in fact, one atheist scholar a, a long time ago set out to disprove Luke's gospel because he just couldn't believe that, that any, um, he couldn't believe that any, Christ, any historian worth his salt could actually be a Christian. So he set off to all the places that Luke mentions in his gospel and in Acts. And this guy who was an atheist who set out to disprove Luke ended up becoming a Christian. Because through archaeology, literally digging up stuff and visiting graves and place names and all this kind of stuff, he ended up finding that, that Luke's work was, was, just had to be true. It was second to none. Now, we don't know much about Luke's personal history. We don't know his family name. But from his writings, we do know that he was a Gentile. He, he, he didn't come from inside the Jewish people. But he has at some point come to believe in Jesus. And we also know that, that he wasn't an eyewitness of the things that happened to Jesus. He's not someone who spent time with Jesus and saw his life firsthand, up close and personal. But let me just say that this in no way detracts from what he has to say. Favorite TV shows of all time is Band of Brothers, right? Anyone seen it? Anyone seen Band of Brothers? Right. I've watched it like five or six times completely through. I watched it over the Christmas holidays again. If, you, if you're not familiar with it... Um, Produced by Steven Spielberg and Tom Hanks, and it follows it follows the journey of the American 101st Airborne Division from their uh, from their training camp, uh, then when they parachute into Normandy the day before D-Day, and then as they fight in Operation Market Garden and the Battle of the Bulge, and all the way through uh, the last year and a half of the war until they finally you know take over Hitler's Eagle's Nest residence in Austria. If you haven't seen it, I really recommend it. But the, 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 the series is, is based on a book by historian Stephen Ambrose. And the thing that characterizes the book and the series is, are all the interviews that are included along the way. At the start of each episode, they have interviews with, with these men who were there. You get to hear from their own mouths what they saw and what they experienced and how they felt. And this gives us confidence as viewers uh, watching the actors portray this story that what we're seeing is true and faithful to what actually happened. And this is just like what Luke did in the of Jesus. He was someone who spent time with people who experienced these things. He, he interviewed the people who were there. He listened to them and he wrote their stories. We also know uh, about Luke that he was cultured. He was a doctor and he was well-educated. The first four verses of this book put that beyond any doubt. Uh, you see this, we, we don't really pick up on this enough. This paragraph is written in the highest form of Greek, right? So he's not, he's not like writing in text language. <laughs> he's not like using memes and GIFs and emojis and stuff like that. Um, 
you are, remember that Peter K thing? He's like, you. he's like a professor who is writing a dissertation. He's, right, he's like a professor who, is, who is, is presenting a piece of research. And we can be thankful for this because it demonstrates Luke's credentials as a historian and as a writer. From the very get-go, we know that this account of Jesus can be reliable. Now, we don't know how Luke became a Christian. And I personally feel that from reading this book and, and Acts, that, that Luke is far too humble a man to tell his own story. Apart from a few places in Acts, he doesn't really mention himself at all. And I love this. Because a mature believer who knows the Bible well, who is an expert in theology, it doesn't mean that he shouldn't be humble. I remember uh, in particular two of my uh, teachers in seminary were just like this. Two of the smartest, uh, most respected theologians in the country, right? And they were just so humble. They didn't want to talk about their latest piece of research or their latest book. One of them in particular is a very prolific author. But they just want to figure out how you're doing. Oh, tell me about your family. Tell me about what's been going on with you. All Christians are called to humility, no matter what gifts God has given us. And Luke is a humble guy. He's a great example to us in this. And, and so we don't really, he doesn't really tell his own story. And while we don't know how he became a Christian... We know that by the time he came to join with the Apostle Paul, he was a mature Christian. He joined himself to Paul. And with, if you read through the book of Acts, there are times when the, the narrative switches um, to, to this kind of we language, inclusive of himself. We did such and such, or um, such and such a thing happened to us, or we went to such and such a place. Luke experienced the same things that Paul experienced. He was someone who followed Jesus with his whole life. He, he, he practiced me. Isn't that someone you want to listen to, to pay attention to? He was even with Paul in prison in Rome. Paul tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 4, he says, only Luke is with me. <laughs> he probably stayed with Paul until his execution. And it's these lengths that, that he went to to get accurate details and experiences. Luke is one of the four Gospels that we have in our Bible. And it's full of extra details that we don't get from the other Gospel writers. We saw this during Advent, didn't we? As we looked at these, these, uh, these accounts of the, the nativity and the events leading up to the birth of Jesus. He includes details of, of Gabriel coming to Mary. I love, I, love that he made, I love to think that he, he went and sat down with Mary. You can just you can hear it coming through. Mary, what was that like? How did you feel? She's like, I was afraid, dummy. <laughs> it was an angel. And so he's like, oh, and she was greatly afraid. He hears, uh, he hears uh, Mary talking about when he went to stay with Elizabeth. He also gives the accounts of Gabriel going to the shepherds. He gives us the accounts of Simeon when, when Jesus couldn't get these the Gospel of Luke is, is without a shadow of a doubt, and I'm no expert, but without a shadow of a doubt, uh, the result of meticulous and humble work as a historian interviewing eyewitnesses. Th this book is a, a beautiful and invaluable gift. And it's not just that he interviewed people. Um, that's one part of being a good historian. But he also compared these interviews to other historical accounts. This is what historians do, isn't it? You, 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 
mean, if you're going to research Henry VIII, you can't really interview him, but you, you, you compare what other people have written. Notice in verse 1, he says, Many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us. Now, we know for sure that Mark's gospel existed at this point, but there were probably other written accounts. Other written accounts that, that didn't make it into our, our canon of Scripture. And he looked at these two. And through this process of, of comparing his interviews to these written accounts, Luke is telling us, look, this is the best work. He's saying, this is good history. This gospel is reliable. You can trust this. It's accurate. And then there's this guy, Theophilus, that he mentions. We don't know who he is, but it, but it would have been common in those days for a wealthy person to commission work, right? So in the same way as if you maybe want to go and do a PhD, you, you, want to, you apply for funding. Someone has to pay for your research, and maybe that's what, it's probably that that's what Theophilus was doing. His name, Theophilus, God, and some people, well, that's maybe just a, a general way of saying, like, everyone who loves God. But I, I don't think so, because the way he addresses him leads us to believe that he was a real person. He calls him most excellent. That means it's someone of you know, high status or even noble birth. But whoever Theophilus was, Luke clearly states the purpose of his book. He know the certainty of what you have been taught. Luke is saying, Theophilus, I am writing these things down so that you can be sure that the things you have heard, that the things that have been preached... The things that have been declared to you by these eyewitnesses are available to you in an orderly, historical, and carefully documented fashion. And I'm doing this to strengthen your faith. I'm doing this so that you can have the full assurance of the truth of the gospel. So that you can know who Jesus is. This whole project, the whole reason behind the gospel of Luke is about having certainty about who Jesus is. Luke says you can have certainty. Something we miss in our English translations is that verses 1 to 4 in the original language is one long sentence. <laughs> like it's one long Greek sentence. And, and this sentence ends with the word certainty. And, and remember, it's not like uh, they, they were typing stuff we could underline and, and make things bold or anything like that. This was handwritten. And, and so he puts the word certain at the end. And that's, a, that's a, a Greek way of saying that's what this sentence is about. That's what, that's what the aim of this thing is. He puts the word certainty right there. And he's saying certainty is the main goal of what I'm doing. Certainty is the aim of my work. There is certainty to be had in our uncertain world. And that certainty is about what I'm about to tell you about this man, Jesus. We can know him. We can trust him. We can rely on him. And right at the beginning, Luke is offering us certainty in Christ. And so the question that I want us um, to approach this gospel with over the coming weeks and months is, is not, are we going, not what are we going to do with this gospel. Not how much can we know this gospel. Not how much can we know about this gospel. But what will this gospel do with us? What is this gospel going to do with you? We've intentionally called this series to seek and to save the lost. And the reason for this is because salvation of the lost is, is in my eyes, the, the main theme that, that Luke brings out through his account of Jesus. 
The offer of salvation is more prominent in Luke than in any other of the four Gospels. And they all have their own themes that they bring out. But for Luke, it seems to be to seek and to save the lost. The verb uh, to save is used far more in Luke than in any of the Gospels. He also talks about the lost an awful lot. The outcasts. Those at the, the bottom of the heap, the edges of society. Sick people. Gentiles. Women. The gospel is for everyone, but, but God has come in flesh, in the person of Jesus, especially to raise up the downtrodden and the weak and the needy. And when we read the gospel, we need to recognize ourselves as the lost. We are lost outside of Jesus. Without him, we are all weak. We are all needy. And this most incredible news that, that Jesus has come, the Son of Man has come, to seek and to save the Lord for us. Seek and to save you. Look. I, I, look, I, I think as I've just been reading this book in a couple of months leading up to Christmas and, 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 and especially in this last week, really digging down and it seems like Luke wants to just assault our hearts with God's offer of salvation. Isn't that a great thing? So as we begin this journey into this book, let me ask you, will you let it change you? Will you allow yourself to be persuaded by the certainty of Jesus? We've already seen that certainty is hard to come by these days. So, so let me finish this morning by coming back to our original question. What can you be absolutely certain of? Can you be certain about your career, of your career? Maybe you're thinking about savings or buying a house. Can you be certain of interest rates? There are things that we take for granted, aren't they? That we, we just assume are 100% certain. Our relationships are one thing. We just take that as 100% certain. Can you be certain of your relationships? Even our health. Gosh, if the, if the past two years have taught us anything is that we can't be certain of our health. Like the next thing, you're on the sofa for two months. <laughs> Maybe that's just my own un uncertainty, my stupidity, I don't know. But none of us can have certainty in any of these things. And I just want to say, please take comfort this morning from this word certainty. In the world... <laughs> And even in our own hearts and minds, these things are filled with uncertainty, but there is certainty in Jesus. He's the one you can rely on. He's sure and steady. He's the Alpha and Omega. He's the beginning and the end. He's the author and perfecter of our faith. He never walks away, never lets you down, never lets you go. He walks among us and at the same time holds us in the palm of his hand. I know for a fact that none of us are completely certain about every area of our faith or every part of the Bible's teaching. And I know that for a fact because that's me. <laughs> like we all have our doubts and reservations, don't we? If you don't, you're lying to yourself. We all have parts of Christianity that we say, really God, <laughs> is that really what you mean? All of us read certain parts of the Bible and think, this can't really be what God thinks, can it? But a lot of the time, what we do is we... we, we we equate our faith in God to our thoughts about God, don't we? We make our faith something that is based on right thinking. And right thinking is very important. But, but let me just say this. Christianity isn't the content of our thoughts. It's our trust in a person. It's not about having all the right answers, but belonging to the right person. The person of Jesus. 
This is what Luke is setting out to give us here. Not a great history, although he does that, but he's given us an intimate portrait of this right person, of the person of Jesus. Not so we can know more about him, but so we can know him more. As we start this, this journey of this, in this book together, Luke and Jesus is saying, come and know me more. Imagine a woman who meets a nice guy that she likes, and he likes her too, and there's a wee spark of attraction there. Um, they go on a couple of dates, and they decide to spend more time together, get to know each other, see if there's anything there. And on their third date, the guy turns up, and he gives her his personal CV, right? It's pages and pages long, but... It has every detail of like where he was born, what his parents did for a living, where he grew up, what school he went to, his likes, his dislikes. His that doesn't sound very romantic, is it? In fact, if she was my friend, I'd be like, mate, you probably need to back off a wee bit because he sounds like a weirdo. Um, probably need to be careful of that guy. Giving someone a personal CV isn't a very good basis for a relationship. Isn't it much better to get to know each other through experiencing one another, spending time with one another? The point is that in a relationship, the goal is, is not to know about one another, but to know one another. You see the difference? And as we learn who Jesus is through our study in this gospel, my prayer is that our, our trust in him would grow and deepen, that our certainty in the person we trust in would grow not our knowledge of him as a subject. We give us a about Jesus, a job of that, but there's more to it than that. Certainty based on good information is good, but the certainty Luke offers isn't based on information. It's based on this person. This book isn't a CV of Jesus. It's a portrait. It's something to be looked at, to stir emotion. It's an accurate portrait for sure, but it's more than a CV. This is where our certainty comes from. Our certainty comes from the person of Jesus. Our faith isn't correct content of thought, but trust in a person. And so Luke holds out this accurate portrait of Jesus, not so we can know more about him, but so we can know him more. So let me encourage you to lean into that. Lean in to Jesus more. If you feel uncertain in your faith, in your thoughts, lean in to Jesus. Spend time with him. Let his presence in your life reassure you. Read Luke's gospel and let his presence, let Jesus' presence and, and his being and his nature comfort you. If one of my kids is in need of comfort, I don't say, well, listen, here's my credentials uh, to be able to comfort you. This is what kind of dad I am. No, I pull him up on my knee and I give him a hug and I let my presence comfort them. Now, it seems to be that for whatever reason, we live in a time when questioning everything is the thing to do. It's kind of almost a trendy thing to do, really, in some ways, isn't it? And I think, I don't know if you've ever read this book, but I think we can take some good advice from the novel Gilead. Characters in that says to his son, he, he's writing to his son, he says, I'm not saying never doubt or question. I'm saying you must be sure that the doubts and questions are your own, so, not, so to speak, the moustache and walking stick that happened to be the fashion at any particular moment. In other words, don't just doubt and ask questions because it's the latest thing to do. Have genuine questions, yes. But bring the Lord. Ask him, him why you find it so hard to believe what you find hard to believe. Ask him to help you in your unbelief. Ask him for certainty in him, not your right thoughts about him. 
Look to Jesus as he is portrayed in his word and find certainty in him. Now that's our thoughts, but, but the other thing I want to touch on before we finish is our feelings. Because we're, we're, we're very feeling-driven people, aren't we? And I wonder how many of us can say that we 100% trust our feelings all the time. <laughs> I would say not many. Feelings can be strong. They, they can be undeniable even. But when we think about it, feelings are, are most of the time temporary. More often than not, they're actually fleeting. Now, I know I'm using a lot of marriage and parent analogies to that, but my marriage, if I'm married to my wife, was based on my feelings. How long do you think that marriage would be last? It would be on again and off again, more often than a lighthouse lamp, wouldn't it? It would be feeling in and feeling out all the time. In the same way, if, if my faith in Jesus, if my salvation is based on my feelings about him, how certain would that be? Here's the point I'm making. Our feelings come and go. They change from day to day, even hour to hour. But Jesus never changes. Luke says you can have certainty because of the person contained in the pages of this book. The only certainty that we can have is found in Jesus. A friend of mine once said, as she was teaching, and she, it stuck with me ever since, she said, our feelings come and go, but the word of God never changes. I owe that because I don't, always feel like worshiping Jesus. I don't always feel like going to his word. I don't always feel like being a Christian. And no matter how hot or cold you grow for him, he never changes in his outpouring of grace upon grace towards you. Just this morning as I was walking up here, I was uh, crossing over Governor's Bridge, crossing uh, the, the river, and I was thinking about this message, and I was thinking about our feelings, and, and, and his I, I was icy, so I actually nearly fell and broke my ankle again. Um, but I was just looking at the river, and I was thinking, man, that's his grace, isn't it? Nathan taught us that week as he, he, you know, from Second Kings, this, the river of God's grace just keeps coming. I, my feelings come and go, but his grace, him coming towards me never stops flowing. There's certainty to be found in him. He's always pursuing you, always loving you, always delighting in you. So if you feel uncertain this morning, Come to him again. See this portrait. Find certainty in him. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 1 verse 20, all the promises of God, all the promises of God find their yes. It's through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. All the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. And that's why we say let it be so. Amen, Lord. Every single thing that God has promised to us is fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus is the proof of God's promises to us. You can trust him and you can depend on him. This, this book, Luke says, can give us certainty about who Jesus is, what he came to do, who he is to us, what he has done in our lives. But knowledge is not the aim. Knowledge is the first step. The aim is to see this God that we know and love and trust Himself himself and our lives and in the lives of those around us. Isn't this what we want for ourselves and for our friends and families? We want to see this God that we know and love from the certainty of his word break through into our lives and into their lives mightily in his power. Isn't that what we want? The God that breaks addictions, that heals anxieties, that restores broken hearts. That's why Luke says, you can have certainty. 
The Bible isn't just a story about God so we can have information about God. Luke's gospel isn't just for historical record, even though his God goes, well, I'm going to make it a great historical record, but it's, that's not the main purpose. The Bible, Luke's gospel is about God moving in power in the world that he created. He's grace and mercy towards creation. And the question is, will we allow himself to move in our lives? Again, let me ask you with this question. As we, as we finish our time together this morning, but as we begin this book, what can you be absolutely certain of in life? Be encouraged that you can have certainty in Jesus. And I'm praying that that's what we find in this book together. Come Holy Spirit. Pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for your word. I pray now that you would visit us by the power of your Holy Spirit indwelling in us. You would meet us in our uncertainty, in our anxiety, in our doubts and fears, in our confusions, in our feelings. And reassure us in our uncertain hearts, in our uncertain minds, in our uncertain world. We need you, Lord. Amen.